what in the world is going on? That's the tone I felt to give to the talk this week. Uh, It's been another week, hasn't it, of unprecedented happenings in our nation. Actually, I've begun to think that we can't even use that phrase, unprecedented, anymore, because unprecedented has almost become precedented. So perhaps I should say it's been business as usual uh, this week. Um, But, you know, for people that don't know that Jesus is still the king of the world, these can be very unsettling times. Uh, Plus, there's a lot of frustration and anger on both sides of the debate. There's some heated emotion uh, going on. I don't know if you've noticed it at all. Uh, And people are saying some really stupid and harmful things at the moment. Is it just me? Uh, One, I'm not saying the stupid and harmful (laughs) thing. But, you know, there is a greater number of people who just want to get it over with, whatever that means. And... So they want us to get back to some semblance of normality, whatever that means. Uh, But if you look back over the last 10 or, well, five or 10 years, really, it seems that the unpredictable keeps happening. You know, a vote that no one expected, a president who seems just as surprised as anyone else gets elected, freak weather patterns, economic uncertainty, polls which continually fail to predict the unexpected, And this even seems to be reflected in some sporting activities. England wins at something, (laughs) um, at cricket, and now possibly even the rugby this year. Who am I kidding? I don't know anything about sport, but I have noticed this excitement around the place. Um, This is a season, I believe, where the unexpected is to be expected, and this is the season that we're in. So what in the world is going on? And first, this is what I have felt God saying to me in this season, that he is the God of the unexpected. He is the God of the suddenlies. He is the one who changes the course of history. And he's the one who says he'll give us more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. That in God, this is a season where the unexpected must now become the expected, when the impossible becomes possible, because God is on the move, and when God moves, anything can happen. He is doing this. God is shaking the nations. I want to just pray, uh, because I want to share with you what God's put on my heart really well today. Uh, So I'd like you to pray with me as well, that God will help. Say, help him, Jesus. You know, that would be good. Any time during the morning you feel that's needed, just shout it out, a prayer. (laughs) So, Jesus, we just say, help us. Help us to hear your word. Help us to discern what's you and what's opinion and what's whatever else it could be, Father. We, We want you to speak to us. We want you to change our perspective. We want you to give us heaven's perspective on earth's confusion, Father. We want to ask you for your kingdom to come and for your will to be done. And even as we talk about world events today, give us that bigger picture and all that kind of thing. Lord, would you heal us? Would you even heal some people today just during this ministry time, Father? We we just want to invite you to come amongst us. We come and speak to us, touch us, heal us, change our lives, Father. Help us to get your bigger perspective on everything. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
So I want to talk to you from chapter two of Haggai, and uh, I'm not going to read the whole chapter to you. We're going to just pick out a few different verses, but if you want to turn to it, you can see where I haven't picked out if you want to. Uh, but this is where we get this idea, this concept of God shaking the nations. And I said last time that I want to try and give both a prophetic and biblical perspective on some of what I see is going on in our nation and the nations. And I've been drawn to these prophecies of Haggai during this season. Talking about seasons, I mean, this may be a complete uh, coincidence, but I discovered that the season Haggai spoke to the people of Israel in was between the months of 29th of August and the 18th of December. 520 BC, which is kind of where we are now, not the 520 BC bit, but the time of the year, the season of the year, the same season. And I've just wondered, is this prophetically significant? I think it might be. It certainly has been for me that we're in that season. As we saw last time, Haggai was speaking to Israel at a time of great uncertainty, turmoil, And he starts in chapter 1 by calling the people to consider their ways. And what he does essentially is call the people of God to take responsibility for the state of their nation. Because what is happening, what they're living through, is actually a consequence of how they themselves have lived. I mean, think about that. What about if the way that we live affects our nation and not the other way around? What about that? What about if the church really is salt and light and affects our nation like that? Think about that. And this is true for us too. And I think this is a time for us to speak up and to own up, but also to humble ourselves and to pray. And we're told to pray even if we don't like people that are in authority or we don't like what they're doing. Uh, We're told to pray. Because God acts when we pray. And do you know, when he acts, the earth shakes, (laughs) which is what I want to talk to you about today in chapter two. So what I want to do is briefly, I'm going to try to do this briefly to explain chapter two to you and then bring some of what I feel prophetically from these verses. Although I've got a feeling it might just spill out as we go along anyway. Uh, And then uh, hopefully this is going to help us to understand some of what is going on in our nation, or at least that's my attempt. That's what I want to try and do today. So the first thing I want us to see is that God shakes nations. Chapter 2 includes three prophecies where God, through his prophet, tells the people how he will, in verse 6, once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations. And now this may be an explanation of what is happening in in their nation at the time, but it's also a reference back to when God spoke to the people from heaven at Mount Sinai, according to the Hebrews uh, commentary on this passage in chapter 12, where it says that the earth shook. And so terrifying was the sight of this mountain that flashed and thundered and shook that the people wouldn't even go near the base of it. They kept away and relied instead on Moses to report back on all that God said, not knowing that when the ground shakes people, it's an invitation to come closer and not to run away. When the ground shakes, it's a time to come closer and not run away. And God says once more, literally that means again, not just once, but again, I will shake the earth 
with his voice. And this time we see that it's not just the Israelites of Sinai that will feel the shaking and impact of God's voice, but all the nations will feel it. Very clearly stated, all nations will feel this. What will be shaken? Well, he tells us, God says, the silver and gold is mine. Verse 8, just in case you wondered, it belongs to him. Everything that we value belongs to him. The material things, all that they had come to rely on, he will shake. Security, possessions, housing, finance, personal safety, even the environment and natural things will reverberate at his coming. All will be shaken from time to time. But then Haggai goes on to tell us about a future time of greater shaking, an ultimate shaking, which he describes in the third prophecy, where he says in verse 21 that God will shake the heavens and the earth. Verse 22, I will overturn thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. And this seems to be a broader, more extensive shaking, which not only shakes things as we know them, but even leads to the complete removal of things. Kingdoms, powers, authorities, nations, one day will be completely taken apart. And the writer to the Hebrews explains that this is about the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Hebrews 12, 27, making this possibly a reference to Jesus' return, a final winding up of the old order of things. So Paul talks about this as a day of judgment when everyone's work will be tested by fire in 1 Corinthians 3, 13. Paul calls it the day of the Lord, which he says will come, verse 10 of chapter uh, 3, like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. But before that happens, there are many shakings to come. Jesus confirms this, but indicates uh, that we will... uh, He confirms that this final shaking will come, but also that there will be these many shakings before that that we will need to learn to observe and take account of. They're they're called the signs of his coming. So in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen. The end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Which means that until Jesus finally returns, there will be many more shakings, birth pains, Jesus calls them, revealed in all that we have come to rely upon, which is not God. Why? Why these shakings? Well, the reason is given to us in the second prophecy in chapter 2, where again Haggai advises us to give careful thought. This is verse 15 to 19. I'm just going to read it to you. Give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid upon another in the Lord's temple. 
When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there was only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the works of your hands with blight and mildew and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, which is from the 18th of December, he says, give careful thought to the day when the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought to what I'm doing in my church. That's my interpretation. Is there any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. And so the prophet's commenting. He says, look, there have been shortages. There's been failures. There's been instability. There's been uncertainty. Food and wine and harvest have all been affected, all restricted. But you fail to read the signs. You've not seen them. You've not responded correctly because these signs were meant to bring you back to God, meant to bring you back to the one who provided these things in the first place. Say, God, please, will you provide? Forgive us. Please provide again. There's been a complacency over you, people of God. That's what the prophet is saying. Now, I don't know. Are you seeing any of this? Are you sensing any of this in in the nations at the moment? Are there any parallels? Do you feel these shakings, question marks over different things. And because the people had not read the signs, God commands the prophet to speak and call them back to him. And as we know from last time in chapter 1, the people repented and came back to God. But we need to learn how to read the signs of his coming (laughs) and understand the shakings of God. They all point back to me is what God is showing here. So that's my brief explanation of uh, the chapter. What do I see prophetically from these verses? Well, this is what I see. I see that God is shaking the nations. But this is a shaking that is designed to bring us back to God as a nation. But perhaps it's even wider than that. Because I, I don't know about you, but I see a wider shaking of the nations at this time. And I think we can expect this. I think we will see this. Jesus says it's going to keep happening. (laughs) Uh, But in this time of insecurity and stability, I also believe that we are going to see a mighty harvest of souls pulled out of the rubble of kingdoms that are being shaken. I mean, to be clear, this is not the ultimate shaking, which Jesus says no one will know the day and the hour except that it will come. But it's the once again shakings which will continue until that time, and each are designed to bring people back to God. And I believe that this is a season where God is also dealing with his people. He's confronting us again with our responsibility for the world, but he's also dealing with the nations. Not because he's angry, but because he's faithful and won't allow a single generation to pass without being given the unique opportunity to hear him and be saved. Do you know, I don't worry about the future of the church because of that. I can see, looking back through church history, time after time, how God has intervened in the direction of nations and has introduced himself again to another generation. Amen? See, God is doing this. God is doing this. He's not uninvolved. He's not far away. He's coming close, and when he does, when he speaks, when his presence is being made known in the earth, the nations begin to shake. 
they tremble and all that can be shaken will be revealed. And I believe that this is leading to a mighty spiritual earthquake. (laughs) Some would say an awakening. Many prophetic voices are talking about a spiritual awakening in the world right now. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced an earthquake. I've only felt a minor tremor once in our last house. It was very disturbing. It was in the middle of the night. There were several loud bangs. The wardrobe leapt off the floor. (laughs) And uh, that was about it. But it was still very frightening. And everybody was out on the street saying, what just happened? This is 3 o'clock in the morning or something like that. And it left a crack in the outside wall of the house, which we managed to deal with, uh, cover it up. But it made me think, crumbs, that was just a tiny one. What about a big one? You know, I've seen film footage of bigger quakes and everything vibrates. Everything that is loose shakes first and falls off the shelves. Then the walls begin to vibrate and they crack and split apart. And as they split apart, the roof crashes in and so on. Everything created, you see, goes first. And then outside the house, the ground shakes, and then trees are uprooted. The ground breaks open. Roads and bridges are bent out of shape. Transport systems made useless. Then you pan back again. There out in the open, you see the sky tormented, and the waves of the sea begin to rise, and all kinds of things. Everything shifts and moves. It's a completely unpredictable time, and you have no idea whether to run, to hide, or even to stand still. Now, I've never experienced this personally in the natural, but from what I have seen, nothing can be relied upon in those few moments. And you hear story of story after story of people involuntarily crying out to the God whom they claimed minutes before they never believed in. Everything shakes and it leads back to him. God is shaking the nations. When God shakes things, we begin to see the things that can be shaken that we thought were so strong and find instead that they are so uncertain. And according to Haggai, there are several places to look, and there are more than this. But I just want to give you a couple just to help you to see, because I think we have to learn to see the signs of his coming, the signs of God's shaking. And Haggai mentions a few different things. He talks, first of all, about financial shaking, I think. In verse 8, he talks about God's claim that the silver is mine and the gold is mine. (laughs) Financial shaking. Now, I'm not a qualified economist or anything like that, but it's obvious even to me that there's a growing instability in all things financial. And, of course, the uncertainty of our future plays a big part in this. But even without this, an economy which is essentially based on debt can't be good in the long term. (laughs) And this isn't just about our personal finances. Even nations are being shaken. I was intrigued to read... This recently by billionaire financier Jacob Rothschild, who's worried. And he seems to place the blame, interestingly, on selfishness and greed on a large scale. He was talking about the global financial system that was established after World War II. And he points to the U.S.-China trade war and the Eurozone crisis 
as the key problems putting economic order at risk. And he goes on to say that in 9-11 and in the 2008 financial crisis, the powers of the world worked together with a common approach. Cooperation today is proving much more difficult. This puts at risk the post-war economic and security order. And so it's not just that people have got more greedy or selfish, even nations have, and are refusing to cooperate with one another for the good of all. And of course, it will be the poorest nations that suffer the most from such greed and competition. We need God to move in that, don't we? And so here we have God saying to Haggai, the silver is mine, the gold is mine. I'll shake the nations and I will show them. That's the spirit I'm getting from that. I'll show them who's boss. I own this anyway. So that's the economic world. Then we have the climate and the environmental factors. And verse 6 says, Once more I will shake the heavens and the earth, sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations. And to me it's not surprising that even the planet quakes at times of God's shaking commented briefly on this last time, but here are a couple of things I've noticed that are unusual, and I think that's one of the ways we see the hand of God in things, is when you see unlikely things happening. Uh, Here's some of the things I've noticed about the unusual, which has made me think that he is involved in this. See, they've been talking about climate change. I spoke to a meteorologist who was saying, uh, a friend of Paul and Pam's, who was saying this has been going on since the 60s, but nobody's been listening. And I remember conversations in the 70s at school as a child being told all sorts of frightening statistics, but nobody listened. But suddenly everybody's listening. Isn't that interesting? Um, And first of all, we have this elderly man. He's 93 years old, Sir David Attenborough, possibly nearing the end of his life, and he, he says, I want to lay it on the line for future generations. You, you guys are in trouble if you don't do something. He spoke prophetically, I think. And get this, he was even listened to. How many times are elderly people listened to in our society today? And then on the opposite end of the scale, <laughs> we have a young girl, Greta Thunberg, starts a campaign at 15 years old. There's a photograph going around, and I don't know if it's real or not, but it was poignant all the same, of her sitting alone outside her school with a placard and nobody else around her. And now look, last week she spoke at 16 years old to the United Nations in quite a, an astonishing tone, <laughs> I might say. And, and I just kind of look at this and say, what is going on? You have an elderly man who does a series of videos that he's been doing for years that have gone around the world, then you've got this young girl who's now got thousands of people involved in this movement. And whatever you think about either of them or their message, this is completely unexpected. It's out of the ordinary. And I see the shakings of God in this. And then there's the whole thing of leadership and political power that God says about this final overturning of royal thrones and shattering the power of the power the power of the foreign kingdoms and i know i said that that was, there's an ultimate winding up but there are shakings before that as jesus tells us wars rumors of wars and that sort of thing now I, I, 
Is it just me? But I'm astounded by the number of prime ministers we've gone through since Tony Blair. I mean, some of whom we hadn't even voted for. And then there have been continual challenges over majority and unity. And, and what is democracy? Those kinds of questions. But it's not just the prime ministers. There are problems in leadership everywhere. So there's an increasing reluctance for people to step forward and even to lead. We were talking about this at the Catalyst leaders recently, saying we, we can't find people to lead churches at the moment. People are too scared to step into the leadership limelight. They found easier places to lead. It's become such a difficult place to stand, even to lead in a celebrity sense. You know, threats of safety, accusations which don't even have to be substantiated, and so on. Now, we're commanded to pray for all those who are authority. But that doesn't mean that God won't hold people to account. And I think we've seen some of that. That is some of what we've seen and will continue to see with things like the Me Too campaign. There's a holding to account. There's a seriousness about leadership. God is uniquely invested in the place that leaders play in the world. You know, I'm fascinated when Paul says there is no authority. How many? No authority except that which God has established. Think about that. That's Romans chapter 13, verse 1. I can't get my head around it, but God is uniquely invested in leadership in the world. No authority except that which all authority comes from him. (laughs) And the psalmist says, it's God who judges. He brings one down and he exalts another. So look out when you see leaders rising and falling, especially when it's unexpected. So this means that one of the places you look for signs of God shaking is is when leaders are lifted up or removed, especially when it's unexpected. Now, there may be corruption going on or something else, some other conspiracy theory, but pay attention anyway when this happens. I also want to say that in praying for leaders, we invite God's will to be done in those realms of leadership all around us. And so it shouldn't surprise us when sometimes corruption or dishonesty dishonesty is revealed because he does that. (laughs) That's what God does. He holds people to account, especially leaders, and his shakings will often reveal these inconsistencies. Don't be surprised by that. And there are other things. Those are just those three things I just felt to share with you about financial shaking, climate, and leadership. But ultimately, our calling is to pray. So what do we say about all this then? I mean, it does seem to be the case that God is shaking the nations, but where does this lead us? Where do we as believers stand when the vibration of God's power is being felt all across the world? You know, how should we respond? Well, Haggai tells us, in fact, he actually starts his prophecies with about the shakings of God with great encouragement and reassurance, and, but I want to finish with it. And it's in verse 4 and 5. This is what God says through the prophet. Be strong. Be strong, Zerubbabel. He's speaking to the secular leaders. Be strong, Joshua. He's speaking to the religious leaders. Be strong, all you people, the people of God, of the land, and work. For I am with you declares the Lord. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. 
and my spirit remains upon you. Don't be afraid. Be strong. Three times. Be strong, leaders. Be strong, people of God. Be reassured. I'm with you. My spirit remains upon you. We are reassured of God's presence and power. That's why it's, I'm with you and my spirit remains upon you. I'm with you and so is my power. And be courageous. He confirms his faithfulness to us at this time. He says, this is what I told you was going to happen. I covenanted this with you. So don't be afraid. Be diligent. Verse 4, and work. Is that right in the middle of all that? And work? Yes, work. Get back to work. Don't be distracted, but do what I told you to do and build the temple. Get back to the great mission that God has called us. Go and make disciples and advance the kingdom everywhere, and he will build his church. See, the whole point of it is that God hasn't called us to invest in a kingdom that is passing away. That's the problem. He's not told us to build temporary structures that can be shaken and ultimately be burned and thrown away. God has called us to co-labor with him in an unshakable kingdom. And I think the greatest day of the church has yet to be seen. (laughs) I think our greatest impact and opportunity This is a time of our greatest impact and opportunity, but it starts with us owning our responsibility. You know, when the mountain shakes, we're meant to get closer. I really believe that. When the mountain shakes, church, we're meant to get closer. Get in there. Get involved. Get in the action. As I said last time, when God moves around on his throne, the whole world trembles. We want a moving of God, but when he does, we don't like it very much because everything trembles. That's what a move of God is. God is moving and he's moving in power. And it's at times like these that we can expect the unexpected to happen. When we can ask for the impossible to become possible, we just need a big enough imagination and revelation to ask for it. So what will you ask for? What are you expecting? When you... (laughs) When you see the news broadcasters fumble over the words in the coming weeks and months because they cannot explain, cannot predict, and have no idea what to say with what they're seeing, what are you able to see? What are you able to see? In closing, I want to return to the words of the book of Hebrews who provides... Hebrews provides, isn't it great when the Bible provides its own commentary? So Hebrews provides its own commentary on Haggai's prophecies in chapter 2 and talks about this unshakable kingdom. Let me just read it to you, and I'm I'm just going to read it without comment. I'm going to try not to comment. Um, Here it is, Hebrews chapter 12, 25. See to it, because, listen, guys, this... I can't read this without warning you what I'm about to read. This is really serious, all right? I'm a bit scared of reading this. See to it that you don't refuse him, who speaks. If they didn't escape when they refused him who warned, who warned them on earth, how much less will we? If we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. At this time, his voice shook the earth 
But now he has promised, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. These words, once more, indicate the removing of what can be shaking, shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably, but with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. I believe there's something of the fear of God for us in this, and I don't mean to be afraid, (laughs) because he says don't be afraid. But there's something of the awe and the fear of God that when God moves, who knows what can happen 